Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into Soundwaves. And in this episode, we're looking at a wonderful musical space for experimental music in Brooklyn, New York, called Roulette. And today we have co-producer of the Roulette Tapes podcast, Susan James, on the show. And I'm really excited to bring her on. Susan, how's it going? It's good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And um, so, yes, I'm happy to talk about Roulette. I I have really just started working with Roulette a little more than a year ago. But it's a phenomenal space with amazing, phenomenal programming. And their mission really is to open up and hold space for emerging artists as well as more established artists to bring experimental work to New York City. The podcast itself, Roulette Tapes Podcast, we feature live uh, concert footage from our archives. The way that I got involved with Roulette was uh, I was familiar with the venue and I liked what they were producing. And I really wanted to produce a podcast where I could feature interviews with the artists that were coming up on the calendar. And I didn't really know that it was going to be roulette. I I approached a number of different venues, sent letters and emails to different places looking for a partnership for a podcast. And it just happened to be with roulette. Originally, the production grew out of my studies at Brick Arts Media, which is a media education program in downtown Brooklyn. And I needed a nonprofit arts center to sponsor me for those classes. And Roulette said, great, host a podcast for us. And so together with David Weinstein, we produce this podcast. We publish one every month. Um, so it's not a frequent podcast that you would hear weekly, hmm. but it's a 28 minute podcast. It's published on the first of every month. And how did WKCR play a role in that? That's at Columbia University, correct? Yeah, they really are not playing a role in the podcast directly, but that was really part of my upbringing in music journalism. I mean, I started out at WKCR when I was a college student at Columbia, and I kind of cut my teeth right there uh, at WKCR, learning how to interview, learning how to curate music. Um, I was just given free reign at WKCR to fill three hours of programming time every Monday afternoon. And I was, I was just grateful for the opportunity to get to know jazz and new music artists. Um, I got to know them in the clubs themselves. I got to have them on air live with me in the studios of WKCR. So I, I really learned how to interview people there. And years later, when I decided to come back to music journalism, I, I basically got connected with Roulette and it really just fell together. It was just really serendipitous. Were there any interviews that stood out for you? Or? I mean, for the work that I did at WKCR, I was pretty proud of a feature interview that I did with Brian Eno. Um, but I'll also talk about the interviews I did at Roulette. But just briefly, that was one of the first major 
artist that I interviewed at WKCR was Brian Eno. He was doing a piece at the World Trade Center in their winter garden and he was doing a sound installation. So I got to interview him and I was gracious. Uh, I mean, I was grateful to get the chance to speak with him and to speak with him at length. And uh, we, we ended up corresponding back and forth for a number of years following that interview. My work with the roulette tapes has been um, really amazing so far. Just getting to know the artists that we're featuring on the podcast and who, who are featured artists at the venue. Most of them are given a residency or they have works that are commissioned. Roulette is one of the few concert halls which gives artists a really healthy guarantee so they make sure the artists are artists can sustain themselves while they're creating the work to be presented it's not just a matter of saying okay you're going to get a cut of the door roulette actually gives guaranteed fees to all of their artists and uh, they have programs that are funded so they can create residencies so an artist can develop a work over the course of a year or do two or three works that year and it's really one of the few venues that focuses on emerging artists but will still bring in established voices of artists that have been around for 30 or 40 or 50 years bring those artists in as well so it's a cross-generational experience at roulette brian eno as a as a person like how did how did he strike you uh, you know he's an interesting person um we really didn't stay in touch after the 90s somehow we just kind of fell out of contact but in recent years i have tuned into some of the interviews that he's done and they've been presented on Facebook or on YouTube or on private private live streams. Um, and so he's done a number of different things that I found interesting. Uh, right now he's focusing on his film work, on his film music from past decades and releasing box sets of his film work. But when I met him, must have been maybe 1991 I think it was um very interesting character a lot of energy definitely a lot of energy and you know and he's just one of those people who's really well read <laughs> you know he 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 exposes himself to film and to theater and to uh books and he can talk about many 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 different things you know we had we had some nice he invited me to some nice dinner parties that he was a part of and had some great conversations with him as well as other artists it was a very nice scene that he kind of created in new york and i don't know if he ever really comes back to new york for any extended periods of time but back then he was in new york quite a bit and then one of the first interviews that you gave was someone from REM. Is that correct? How, and how did that get you to where you are now with the, the roulette tapes? I started out really involved with media as a child, but as a consumer. 
I was watching a lot of television interviews, like 60 Minutes and, and nighttime, late-time talk show interviews. Um, a lot of journals were in my house, like Time Magazine and National Geographic. And so there was something about print medium that I found interesting, enough so that when I was in junior high, I started working at the school newspaper, but as a music critic. And that was the only time in my life that I've been a critic. Mitch Easter, producer Mitch Easter, who is a musician in his own right, of course, but he produced REM for maybe three or four recordings back in the early 80s. And I think I was 14, maybe, <laughs> when I, I had been reading Rolling Stone magazine and following the work of REM, as well as other artists, but I caught on that Mitch Easter lived down south. He lived someplace in North Carolina. So I literally called up directory assistance on my parents' home telephone. And I said, can you get me Mitch Easter? He lives in such and such town in North Carolina. And they found him and gave me the number. And out of the blue, total cold call, I called him up. I'm 14 years old, very precocious. Nobody told me this was a bad idea. So I said, okay, let me call him. And I was nervous, but I got him on the phone and I said, hi, I write, I write a music column for my junior high school newspaper. Can I interview you? And I interviewed him. And I don't remember if I used my parents' tape recorder. I think at the time you could connect your phone to the tape recorder. So I think I had recorded the interview, but if I didn't, I know I at least took really good notes and reported on the interview in my school newspaper. So that was probably the first bit of music journalism that I did. That's so funny. I love stories like that where, you know, you called directory assistance back in the day <laughs> with the directory assistance and, um, you know, the phone book, something that we had back in those days. I, you know, millennials don't even know about the phone book. <laughs> no. uh, that's really cool, you know, and you did, you reached out and you got, you know, that's, that's phenomenal. And that must've been great for your, you know, career in, in doing what you are now. You know, I mean, you, 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 you reached out and you got that interview. Did that take you someplace where if you didn't get that interview, you wouldn't have gone, do you think? You know, it's interesting that you say that. Now, in the year 2020, when I want to interview somebody, there's always this moment of anxiety where I'm sending someone an email. I just got their email address from the venue. So, so I, I get their email address and I'm sending it from my personal email address, not a company email address. So I keep thinking, they're not going to take it seriously. They're, they're just not going to take it seriously. But if I drop the name of the venue and I'm saying, I'm doing a podcast for roulette and I know you're coming up uh, in a couple of months and in advance of, of your concert, we would like to have you as a guest on our podcast. And then I have to, then I have to explain what the podcast is and give them a link to the podcast so they can listen to it before they say yes. And I feel like I have to kind of validate myself. Does that sound right? You know, I feel like I have to, I have to create credentials for myself hmm. so that I can be taken seriously. Now, I don't know if everyone feels that way, 
But even when I was 14 years old and I called up somebody and said it's for my school newspaper, just to have somebody take me seriously was a big thing. Now, when I was at WKCR Radio, it's a well-established radio, even though it's a college radio station. Once we started webcasting in the early 90s, we had listeners, I had people calling me on the air from Germany. You know, wow. we had listeners all around the world listening to our radio shows. To be affiliated with an organization that has such strong programming and gives to the arts community in such a strong way, it speaks for itself, really. And that's on Columbia University's campus? Oh, WKCR? Yeah, it is on Columbia University campus. Briefly, back in, I think, the early 90s, they were building new studios, and we moved the studios to Riverside Church on the West Side. But for the most part, uh, it's, it's always been on campus. Columbia uh, gives it maybe 40% of its funding, and the right. other 60% of funding comes from listener support. Very nice. And where does um, where is the roulette tapes? Uh, is that a do they have a studio in Brooklyn or they the, the roulette no. is actually physically in Brooklyn, though, right? Yes. Roulette physically is in Brooklyn and they have two rooms where they do post production for video and audio. However, when I'm producing the podcast, at least before the pandemic, <laughs> Before the pandemic, I had people in the studios at Brick Arts Media because they have a really lovely podcasting studio. They've got two or three television studios there. It is a media center. And Brooklyn Free Speech Television is broadcast on maybe four channels of cable here in New York and one HDK channel as well. But they're podcasting. They have their own podcasting channel on Spotify, Brooklyn Free Speech. So Roulette will feed the podcast to the Brooklyn Free Speech community as part of their programming as well. But we we are independent. Do you have any shows coming up that you'd want uh, viewers yes. to check out today? Yes. Okay. So right now our current episode, our December episode, features Elliot Sharp. He is a guitarist and multi-instrumentalist, a composer, and a band leader. Elliot Sharp is just one of those artists that has been around for more than 40 years producing cutting edge uh, music and collaborating with a number of other artists. Um, so please check out guitarist Elliot Sharp. He is our December featured artist. Mm. Coming up in January, if all goes well, on Tuesday of this week, I'll be recording an interview with vibraphonist Joel M. Ross. And he is an emerging artist. He just released his second recording on Blue Note Records. And he's getting a lot of press and a lot of attention. And I'm just really pleased that he is one of our commissioned artists. He does have a residency at Roulette. Joel M. Ross, that's going to be our January episode. So that will be released January 1st. And that's you can also find that in the archives as well, right? Well, you can find some of Joel's work already. He was part of the Berlin Jazz Festival this year. I think very nice. Sorry, I'm getting a call. Oh, that's fine. I didn't mute my phone. I didn't mute my phone. Um, 
Oh yes. <laughs> well, good stuff. So Joy and Ross, you can you can find him in our archives. You can find a number of artists. We have more than four thousand concerts in our archive. Wow. And yes. I will put that in the uh, put that in. We have the link there. So I have to say that you know I love experimental music. I I um. I really enjoy it, and and I'm glad that you turned me on to this site uh, and your show because it's really amazing stuff. Thank you so much, Susan, for being on the show. Is there anything you want to finish up with? Any thoughts about uh, your podcast or uh, the roulette? Well, I would just I would just invite listeners to go to the roulette website because you can find the live stream performances that are happening now. And you can find in our archives the live stream performances that are happening this season, as well as footage from 1981, 1991, 2001. You can find audio archives from a number of artists. You can just search those artists in the search bar. Well, thank you, Susan, so much for being on the show. Thanks for turning everybody on to the roulette tapes. And... Um, yeah, thank you so much for, for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys, for watching. Please check out the Roulette Tapes. It's a phenomenal place to go for experimental music. And uh, thank you for watching Soundwaves.